Hello and welcome to episode two of three propcasts that we're doing on our latest trends report, which is called Hitting Reset Trends for a New Cycle. And you can download that report from Montford.London slash news. I'm Andrew Teacher. I'm Managing Director for Real Estate and ESG at Montford, formerly the founder of Blackstock Consulting, where I was very privileged to work for many years with Alexander Peace, who's recently rejoined us as Director of Research and Strategy. Alex and I worked together many years ago at IPD, which was uh, acquired by MSCI. And Alex went on and will be known to many listeners for his years of service at Estates Gazette, where he was data analysis and resi editor, all many, many badges on his Cub Scout shirt. Alex, we're continuing this conversation on 10 trends for the next cycle. Let's start at an odd number. Let's start with number five, which is finding the new core. What's that about? Tell me where that thinking is and what you think the next core looks like. Yeah, let me actually try and explain that a bit from the beginning. A core asset's a solid, secure asset with a good income stream, which is going to be reliable. You overpay for it, you get a low yield, but you know for 20 years you're going to get the same thing. Well, the problem is that doesn't really exist anymore. Or it does, but you really, really have to overpay for it. So there's been a shift to find a new core. What does that mean? Well, it means looking for other assets which have secure, stable income streams. And that's not necessarily an office or a shopping centre or a logistics park. What does that mean? There's all sorts, basically, because we have to start looking at some of these new alternative sectors, which are actually now really stable. Built to rent, of course, the drum that Andy and I have been banging for many, many years. Well, what about senior living? You don't get more stable income returns than that, to an extent. And then there's other alternative sectors as well. So anything involving healthcare or maybe data centers. So it's finding these new assets driven by structural demand, but then it's packaging up these assets so that they are stable. But it also comes down, Alex, is not to the underlying legal structures. I think one of the things that people are nervous of with things like data centers or energy costs, the fact that technology changes really, really quickly, and also other risks that you have around security and just access to power, which you don't have if you're just building an office and letting it out to an insurance firm for 20 years. Oh, I don't know. I think an office needs uh, electricity and Wi-Fi pretty much now as well. But yes, I'm being slightly facetious. Same thing applies to a build-to-rent block. I mean, uh, there's a lot more risk inherent in 200 renters in a building than five office tenants taking up a similar space. And that's exactly what I mean about finding ways to package that up and make that core. It's finding ways to make that income stable year on year and to protect your returns and also to explain that and justify that to your investment committee because arguably they're the ones giving you 200 million quid to buy it in the first place. And do you think, I mean, retail's the obvious point here because this is where a lot of the money went in the early 2000s. You know, that's been the big torturous cliff edge in the last cycle, the current torturous cliff edge is offices. And, you know, I remember when we were working together at IPD and it was around that point, just post great financial crisis that the what we now refer to in this report as the k-shaped recovery where the lower limb of the k is going down permanently going down not coming back and the upper limb continues to perform and we've seen that alex in retail over the last 13 years haven't we with the good stuff continuing to be pretty good other than the bits that have totally collapsed <laughs> and some of the shoddier stuff getting worse and so if we take the upper limb of the k and that k-shaped recovery is the core 
what are those things now that are going to become more attractive? Because there are some big, big trends right now around, for example, deglobalization that is pushing people and changing supply chains that might actually make areas of retail rebound, support areas of logistics that potentially were dipping. So there if are some I knew big the answer to this, Andy, I'd be in a far posher office than this one, making considerably more money. This is the big question. I mean, let's talk about some of those macro trends because I think that's the point, right? If we're thinking about core, that's going to be driven by things that sit way above the universal real estate, right? You'd hope so. The big obvious one, already mentioned, renting. It is increasingly expensive to buy a house. There is a housing shortage. Thus, more people are renting. And also... People are choosing to rent because actually it's... Well, it, because it's, they can't afford a mortgage. Well, so, yeah, but so also choosing to... I choose to rent these days because actually I think buying a house is vastly overpriced and renting gives far more flexibility. <laughs> and it's somebody else's problem if there's issues of a house and structural stuff like that. And I think that's probably increasing in a lot of people's radar these days because buying a house is just such bad value in a lot of cases. Why bother? So there's one of them. And this is chapter four in the report, professional renting, the big winner of the mortgage crunch. Absolutely. But then behind that, and we've mentioned this in another podcast, we've got other trends that are emerging behind that rental revolution as well to offer new products to the various different parts of the rental market. So you've got co-living for the younger generations, well, not just for younger, but generally the younger generations. You've got senior living for those who have sold for family home and need a little bit more support and a little bit more care. Really interesting as well, you've got the single family housing stuff, which is actually, going back to my original point, families that are maybe not choosing, but a lot of the time choosing to rent because they don't want to buy a house actually at the moment. And so we need products like that. But it's not just the rental market, which is seeing some of these big structural changes. I mean, technology, which you've touched on, data centers, fine. That's one side of it. But there's other aspects there. There's new ways that logistics is going to be changing. Okay, logistics falls under the industrial banner, but some of these new markets from logistics, one could have called alternative. And then within that logistics stuff, there's things like cold storage, open storage, you know, these new ways of accessing that demand and what people want, basically. Well, that was a big thing during COVID when everybody cleared out their spare room, bought a Peloton, ordered a load of weights, causing this weird kettlebell shortage. Who'd have thought there'd ever be a shortage of kettlebells ever in the history of the planet? But that was one of the weird sidecars of COVID. But that has certainly propelled the self-storage industry, which is probably by far the best performing bit of the real estate market at the minute as everyone clears out their trash, their old books and computer games and shoves it all in a storage unit. And I know we've been using one in the darkest depths of King's Cross Wells moving house. So you know, these are things that relatively low risk, there's very little operational risk, there's very little people involved with asset classes like self-storage. I mean, data centers as well, they're largely automated sheds full of chips and power and provided you can plug it in, which isn't necessarily to be taken for granted given UK power networks. And then some of these asset classes might actually perform really, really well. The challenge, though, Alex, is scale, right? Scale, and I think the operational side of it. Yes, some markets are simpler than others, but knowing how to operate and run efficiently those assets is very much at the forefront of investors' attention. Scale is always the issue in the UK. If that sector doesn't exist yet, that means you have to build it. If you have to build it, that means you have to replace something else with it. And thus, you have competing values, you have competing interests. That can push up prices, lower yields, and suddenly you're into a less interesting play. The best ones are those which are obviously supported by policy or supported by other drivers, which can make developing that easier. My one for the future is senior living. I think there's an enormous, enormous expansion of that to come just because it's going to be so instrumental in solving the UK housing crisis and also the UK health 
crisis. The fact we have an aging population that is going to need a lot of care. And we haven't got the money to pay for that if we have to give everybody in-house care. So we're going to need a new product. I think the cold storage and the food distribution side of that as well is going to be equally fascinating going forwards for a market like the UK, where we don't grow enough of our own food. Not particularly our fault. We've got a far smaller country than other people's with a very large population. We've kicked a lot of workers out and we're not exactly taking our farmland particularly seriously, but that's something for another podcast. Yeah, I think that's for another day. But my point is, so there's going to be a big part about food security and food storage in the UK. Something we brought up recently. But it comes back to that trend of deglobalisation partly, doesn't it? Because, again, you look at how supply chains have been disrupted through the Ukraine war, through everybody shifting away from China. And there are good reasons for shifting away from China. But that obviously impacts the speed and the price which we're able to obtain certain goods. I'm trying to remember the name of a really dodgy television show from when I was a nipper about No Bananas, which is all about the Second World War breaking out and the various upper classes in Britain being upset because they had no more bananas. I think there was a song about it as well. Silly example, but it's the same point. It's not going to do actually we're in no, we're not going to do a song. We live in a very fragile global ecosystem which doesn't need a huge amount to suddenly change that. And as the Ukraine war has shown us, China trade relations souring has shown. So there needs to be more security behind that. And thus, I think there will be large government drivers or initiatives to put more security there, both for energy and for food supply. Thus, investing in sort of these huge new cold storage food hubs and things like that, distribution centres around the UK, could be a very interesting market going forwards. And we've seen it in the States, haven't we, Alex, in terms of Tesla turning out, building its gigafactory and just starting, US government having a huge array of incentives around building chips back on the home turf. You've got big companies like NVIDIA, Brookfield funding these new facilities to develop and produce chips in North America rather than getting them from the Far East. It's not quite something the UK has been able to jump into just yet, but you'd hope that downstream that there'll be the right mix of policy incentives once we can start playing ball again properly with Europe. But these are other things as well that potentially provide opportunities for real estate, right? Absolutely. It's just being able to spot them, comparing the UK to America's sort of very, very business-friendly, but others would say unchecked capitalist development. Well, it's weird, always difficult. It's, it's, and, I, mean, it's, and I had lunch, with, I'm not going to name the person, but I had lunch with a very prominent family office last week, a global family office, and they were just commenting on the massive paradox. You have somewhere like Texas, where you've got emerging cities like Austin, the very diverse, huge amount of tech people coming out of San Francisco because they've been priced out and they don't like the death spiral that it's now in. But you've got a state that's supporting innovation. It's got loads of natural resources, but, you know, it's, it's a criminal offence to have an abortion. I mean, it's mad. And it's, also had a power cut last year, which left how many millions of people rather cold? Well, quite. That brings us on to power. Let's talk about trend number six just before we close off this podcast. Trend number six in our report. And you can download that report from Montford.London slash news. The EV revolution, Alex, that's going to cause a potential opportunity for real estate beyond being able just to change your company car more frequently what else is it going to drive yes yeah, so i've purposely not mentioned that bit yet when talking about sort of new technologies and new drivers because you know wanting to save the best till last electric cars need charging so well, all right well we need charging stations and the Have uk you passed needs... your driving test now by yes when i was 17 18 really so yeah yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm far more habit of driving on the wrong side of the road these days over in France, but uh, I've been driving for a while, yes. There's 1.3 million plug-in cars now on UK roads, but just 
not even 38,000 chargers. It's a ridiculously low number of chargers that have been built so far, actually. And, you know, that's a huge problem because, well, sorry, it's not a huge problem. That's a huge opportunity because it takes a bit longer to charge an electric car than it does to fill up a petrol station. So that means how we use our built environment and how we use that time can be an advantage for the built environment. Monetizing time. So that's always what it's been, isn't it? You know, if I'm doing a nine to five, you're essentially monetizing the time of my week. For instance, shopping centers. All right. Well, if I stick an EV charger on every slot in that car park, let's not even get into the complications of doing that from the power grid. But anyway, if I do that, that means for all of those people while they charge their car are going to be there for half an hour. Well, that's brilliant. That means I've got a captive audience coming into my shopping center, whether it just means they're coming in for a coffee and to have a snack or whether it means they're actually going to go and quickly do some shopping. That's fantastic. That's one side of it. But so motorways and large routes as well are clearly going to have a huge revolution with all of this changing how long people spend in service stations changing how long people use that for and then there's sort of the more local small scale stuff so westminster which according to the department of transport has got more charging stations than manchester birmingham and liverpool combined they're doing really innovative interesting things with charging stations so i was walking down pimlico way the other day and they have charging stations coming out of existing lampposts and so you know you do your on-street parking and you can just do it like that the problem is that people that don't have evs or people who do just use them and they take up the space the well whole day. there is that and also god knows what happens if a dog wheeze on that particular lamppost i just thought that was a really good way of not well, having invasive dogs yes invasive <laughs> charging infrastructure and as somebody who's done quite a lot of this before you've got the tubes for the electric cables that already pass basically if you're doing that so it means you don't have to dig well if those tubes are large enough, it means you don't have to dig up the road. And that's actually really interesting as well. But from a real estate perspective, I mean, again, it's not a particularly sexy asset class, but a bit like self-storage, MSAs, motorway service areas, have been a hugely popular and well-performing asset over the last 15, 20 years. It's been the only area of essentially retail-led property that's continued to grow through COVID and through the crisis. Doesn't need to be sexy if it performs a function which everybody needs. Doesn't need to be sexy if it's charging £10 for a waffle meal. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> that's your insight, listeners. It's yeah. all about the price of a waffle meal at a service station. But To stay on subject. <laughs> to stay on subject. It's getting near lunchtime. We're thinking about Burger King. But the point I'm making, I suppose, is that there's an opportunity here, as you said, Alex, to reinvent certain asset classes and to think about whereas historically retail was all about big fast fashion retailers your anchor tenant actually now people have realized that footfall and dwell time are your anchor tenants and ev charging could be a bit of a magnet that gets people there and keeps them there absolutely and i think the most forward-looking investors are already looking into that and looking about how they can use that kind of captive audience. Now, the elephant in the room is how EV charging changes and it gets faster and faster and faster and this progresses. But for the moment, it does take time and it's using that time to our benefit. And what does that mean then? So what are the sorts of facilities that you think we could see? Do you think there's potential now to reinvent, for example, garages with more facilities, with more roadside shopping, dining and F&B? Are we going to expand drive-throughs and retail parks that people have been coming back to? Do all of these things potentially stare down the horizon of a renaissance now? All of the above. I think using a lot of the new data, uh, the new data, what a vague phrase, but using a lot of measurement, we can actually check where cars go these days, where people drive. So I think as an investor, you can actually see, all right, I need to put that kind of facility here. My favourite... So insurance company can check how many Burger Kings you eat. We can check how many Burger Kings you've eaten. I, you know, I'm keeping my figure slim these days. <laughs> I think one of the most interesting that I heard somebody talking about, and this was just a vague idea, the high street. 
So you and I have been watching the high street go through various iterations of decline for the last 15 years. Well, what about putting free charging stations all along every single high street so that people can park their car for free, you have to charge it, and then you're stuck there for half an hour. So you go into those shops again. You go and actually get some people onto the high street. Okay, this wouldn't actually work, you know, thinking about all the logistics of it. You still need other types of parking and other space. But hmm. it's just a way of getting captive audiences back into the right place again. And that's uh, a fantastic opportunity. Speaking of opportunities, there's also what happens to all the old existing petrol infrastructure. In the States, it's a bit more pronounced than it is in the UK. But what happens to all those old garages and petrol stations? And actually, those are some fantastic inner city plots. May or may not be quite contaminated after all those years of petrol. You never know what's happened. But hmm. good chance for new space to be used. Not necessarily just of EV charging stations. Yeah, so actually, there could be an interesting transitional benefit there for people snapping them up and looking at future development. Obviously, if you know, look at some of the big deals in supermarkets... Asda recently selling off lots of its warehousing and petrol stations are, are attached to these are potentially big generators of value for all sorts of uses. Absolutely. As I say, more pronounced in the States. I think there was a 2021 Perkins and Will report which said more people in Los Angeles live within a 10-minute walk of a petrol station than a park. And in the UK, thankfully, I don't think it's generally that bad. But there's a lot of old petrol infrastructure out there which can be repurposed. And that's a great thing. You know, EV charging will be at home, obviously, and it will be in less intrusive built environment spaces. Mm. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. I think the big challenge with it, though, is where councils are now starting to demand certain quotas of EV charging infrastructure on new housing developments. You know, it's become the new car parking space, cycle space war. And one of the issues there is not just on how viable it is to take up the space, but on how much actual power sits under the ground you know how viable is it to do that to access what you need in order to charge up that number of cars sitting under your block of flats you know i've actually installed ev charging stations over in france when you're only doing one or two you don't have to do anything additional you can just tap it into the main circuit board i do not know how that changes if you're doing 200 apartments but i suppose that's the big question but then it comes down to a question of is the grid up to supplying it and how much that changes the cost of that grid access basically and i think that's the thing is that i think there's a big question mark about whether we'd certainly in the uk is fit for you, you mentioned about the states and we've all seen energy cuts in the states over the last couple of years causing all sorts of issues but i think the other interesting opportunity for real estate is this comes on to battery storage which i know people are starting to look at because that then reduces your reliance on the grid it means that you are able to essentially circulate that energy with cars with your buildings and become a lot more able to set your own pricing Absolutely. I don't know how well that's developing at the moment and if that actually becomes an asset class in itself, essentially. I know for the short-term use, yes. For longer-term use, I just don't know how much the cost works off on that. And also the environmental cost of making those batteries in the first place, which is the other side to look into. Well, look, that's the big question to so much of this stuff. But uh, look, anybody, we would like to do an episode on battery storage, actually. We haven't done one yet. So if anybody listens to this knows any battery experts, do please get them in touch. Well, look, I've been talking to Alexander Peace, who's the Director of Research and Strategy at Montford. I'm Andrew Teacher, Managing Director for Real Estate, formerly the founder of Blackstock. This is the second of three episodes on our Trends Report. You can download it at montford.london slash news. Uh, and there'll be a third episode to finish off the report but do get in touch let us know about any comments you've got you can subscribe to propcast on all the usual platforms amazon apple soundcloud spotify wherever you get your podcasts from thanks a lot for listening see you soon